This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. The timing couldn't be worse. Just days before Christmas, Omicron is spreading and governments are instituting new restrictions. Here we're looking at capacity limits for retailers and restaurants in their most critical time of year, as well as earlier closing and restricted alcohol sales at bars. And uh, everybody's wondering, will we see further limits at this afternoon's briefing from Dr. Kieran Moore? He moved it up. It was supposed to not happen today. So we'll have to see what that's about. And uh, will we ultimately follow Quebec in closing bars, restaurants and gyms and delaying the return to school in January? And what about the Hunger Games scenario for people trying to book boosters, which opened up for most people in the province just yesterday? And what about uh, trying to get your hands on one of those free antigen tests? Uh, I've seen a lot of grumbling about how this has been handled by the government, governments. And speaking of grumbling and, well, actually uh, beyond grumbling, Anti-vax protesters have had rowdy demonstrations at Doug Ford's home two nights running. A spokesman says he and his family couldn't even get into the house. Meantime, there were tweets from liberal opposition criticizing him for apparently being at the cottage. Um, what do you make of all this? The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 866 740-4740. And right now, I would like to welcome Karen Stintz, CEO of Variety Village, John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner, Fleischman Hillard High Road, and Charles Souza, the former Minister of Finance for Ontario and MPP for Mississauga South. Hello, everyone, and Merry Christmas. Hi, everybody. Hi, everyone. Uh, Charles, um, have you ever had the experience of protesters, you know, taking it to your home. I know that that happened to Kathleen Wynne when she was premier. Oh, I've had people drop um, envelopes in my mailbox. I've never felt unsafe in my home. They've gone to my constituency office, which I have a street level, so it's very clear where I am, and i always accessible to them, and we give water and other things as they come, but I've always welcomed dialogue, but no, I've I've been fortunate never to have felt uh, unsafe. The only time I've had was a one stalker who kept going at me on social media, and the moment he started talking about my wife and my children, then we got a bit more concerned. Other than that, I've been pretty. I I, I never felt. I always welcomed people at home, so it was never an issue. Yeah, well, yeah, and I I know that a lot of people, even people who really did not agree with Kathleen, when that was crossing the line. Uh, absolutely, when, and I and I don't think what they oftentimes did uh, with Rob Ford as well now with Doug. I mean, they're they celebrity status and they're uh, you know they're high profile and and they're butts of jokes in some respects, and and that's just not called for. Uh, well, yeah, they also, um, there have been demonstrations at John Tory's home. Karen Stintz, did you ever have anything like that happen to you? No, I never uh, had a demonstration at my home. Uh, people that were upset with some of my decisions around um, planning and development actually uh, picketed at Young and Eglinton. That was a little awkward, I have to say. Uh, what made it awkward? Young and Eglinton, what was there? Was that the where where the decisions were focused? Yes. Yeah, that was that was where the impact was going to be felt, and so there was um, it was a group of protesters that were um, holding up a sign and saying things that were rather unflattering about me picketing. <laughs> so it was a little uncomfortable, but no, I've never had anything near my house. And as Charles has said, I've never, I've actually never felt uncomfortable. Um, but, you know, I, I, I don't actually, it was one time in the grocery store I was, you know, someone came up and was upset again and made me aware of that. And I, I don't think people realize the impact it has on politicians when they are um, confronted in such a, a negative way that it, 
you know, everyone has a right to freedom of expression, of course, but, you know, to, to take it out on someone in someone's home or to be protesting very personally, um, an, an individual, as opposed to expressing an opinion, I, I do think crosses the line. And I think that people, protesters, should really consider that before they act, because I don't think that they realize the impact it has. I, I think there's, I don't know, there's been some kind of general loosening mm-hmm. of inhibitions about doing that. I think part of it is social media because you can be anonymous or not. And uh, I think that a lot of the anti-vaxxers are kind of taking the lead from the far right in the States. Uh, John, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think it's important, you know, that, that, and I said the same thing when, when, when Kathleen Wynne was, um, was, was experiencing the same kind of demonstration at her house. It doesn't matter who, the politician is or what political stripe, you know, homes are off limits. You know, there are cassette offices, there are, there are Queens Park or City Hall offices that are, are, are you know, are, are public places where you can actually go and, and you know, and express your freedom of, of expression and, and your freedom of other support or, or not support of a politician or the specific policy. But once you start getting into a home, that would affect the person's family. Which is should be off limits, but also the neighbors, like the neighbors who who happen to be living beside a John Tory or uh, or a Doug Ford or a Kathleen Wynn, they didn't sign up to be to be you know there as, as you know to get harassed or to have people you know do certain things on their properties or or what have you. So that's the thing that, and, and also I think it hurts their own cause. Like I think that no, no matter what the cause is, if it's anti-vaxxers in this in this day and age, or if it's something else, you know, a year year or two or three ago, you know, it, it actually hurts their cause like they think that they're trying to get some level of publicity for their specific cause and in fact what you do is you get those that are watching it saying you know what i I don't want anything to do with them and so you actually hurt yourself in that regard but but i I would say this olivia i think that you know with the advent of social media it's a lot easier now to be able to post something on social media saying hey we're all going to meet at so-and-so's house at uh, whatever time you know whereas you know some time ago well, you know, when, when Charles was a minister of finance and there wasn't social media, uh, <laughs> you know, you'd have to go by mail or by phone calls. And it was not as easy as to do as it is. Now. I'm only kidding, Charles, but, but it's not as easy as to do as it is now, though, with, with respect yeah, to social media, which I think makes it easier for people to gather. It, it, it was on social media. And speaking of social media, uh, Karen, uh, so, uh, Doug Ford's, one of his daughters is a very, very vocal anti-vaxxer, and she's very active on social media, and that was called out. Um, is is that fair game, or is that crossing the line, too? You know, I, I think, um, I actually read a sympathetic article on this, on this very matter, and that, um, you know, most of us do know someone who's an anti-vaxxer. And I, I sympathize greatly with Doug Ford because it's his daughter and he loves his daughter. There's no question. And it must be very difficult for him uh, to have such opposing views from his own daughter. And so, you know, I think that there to talk about it, I think in a way that um, helps express the difficulty that people do have with um, people that they love that aren't getting vaccinated, I think is, is, is one way to approach it. But I don't think he owns this decision that his daughter is, is doing. And, 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 you know, she's not an elected official, so she's free to say her piece. I think, you know, she's making it harder on her dad, no question. But she feels strongly and um, he feels differently. And that is something that, as I, I say, that many of us are probably experiencing now. Uh, does anybody have a different view on that? Um, so, I mean... We as Canadians always pride ourselves on being a bit more human, more respectful. There was a politeness about us in public, and that's changing somewhat. And I've noticed that even when I go to restaurants, sometimes people will come up to me where they otherwise wouldn't have um, because they were emboldened. And his daughter, to some extent, is emboldened too, in that she knows she has a platform because she knows who she is. And there's, a, there's, there's this, she's taking advantage of the public figure that her, parent, her father is and her uncle, she knows that she's going to be listened to, and she's using it to that advantage. So in some respects, she's setting herself up, but she's also using it to promote the issues that she believes in. But it's, inf- it's interesting how she claims that, you know, this is an infringement on their freedoms and so forth, and we shouldn't have the right to demand it, and the evilness that is coming from this, you know, their reckoning will happen. So it's very weird how she's putting it, because her father, to some extent, is the man in charge, but she's not blaming him. She's blaming others around him somehow. And and yet, 
he'll use the notwithstanding clause to infringe on the very freedoms in the Constitution. So I find it all very bizarre. But this is free. This is fair game when she's doing it purposely. Well, right. She is obviously, if she wasn't the premier's daughter, it's unlikely yeah. that she would have uh, a, a big platform. I think you're right about that. Um, John, what do you think? Yeah, I'm just going to say, Libby, that I think, you know, it, it's unfortunate because she's an extremely bright woman um, and somebody who, of course, says like who? Is, is, is allowed to have. <laughs> says who ever. that she's a bright woman? What's that? Who says she's a bright woman? Well, no, no, but she is. Like she, she is. A, she is somebody who she's a she's a, she's a, a, a worth of, of having her own opinion. I don't. I disagree with it, obviously. But I'm just saying that the the, the fact of the matter is, she happens to be you know the premier's daughter. But what I where I have some offense to is when people try to try to say that well because she is Doug Ford's daughter, that therefore Doug Ford is going to be influenced by that. And I think that that, I think, is something that politicians, you know, hate to hear when they when they have a spouse or a partner or somebody within their family that has a countering view of theirs, that somehow, because of that, their opinion is going to be somewhat influenced by that, and, and it's automatically drawn to that. Like, I think, you know, partners and family members always have opinions, and they have been able, able, an ability to be able to influence their, their political partners. But to say that, that it, it that their policy is going to be made, that their decisions to be made based on the fact that his daughter has an opinion that, you know, the vast majority of us disagree with. Well, you know, that's that's just not right. And, and I think that she's worthy of having her own opinion. But the fact that she's on social media, she's going to get attacked on it because, you know, that's, you know, anybody that has an opinion on social media, one way or the other, is going to get an attack on it. But it shouldn't reflect on the premier in any way, is my point. Yeah, well, I mean, I remember uh, growing up, I would have extremely voluble debates with my father mm-hmm. just about mm-hmm. every night. And, uh, you know, when I, I remember a few times when I'd say, Daddy, I'm not in the mood, he'd be so disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> but there you right. go. It's a um, constant battle that you have to have if you're a public figure in some ways and you have a, you know, you have a partner who's, who's got an opposing view one way or the other. Yeah, well, um, it, that's just, uh, it's another thing, I guess, for, for him to deal with. But overall, with this latest aspect of, of rollout, I mean, for months, people have say, have been saying, where are those rapid tests? They start to roll them out again. It's the Hunger Games. They run out in, in minutes, and it's just as people are hoping to use them to make their Christmas gathering safer. Uh, uh, and to get a booster now, it's really hard. Uh, Karen, are, are, are they going to wear that? I, I think a little bit, yes. Uh, to be honest, because there's there's a couple things in the communication department that I hope get clarified in today's announcement. And, uh, you know, one is the fact that um, the, the spread that we're seeing is on is, is within the vaccinated community because, we're, you know, vaccinated people, the ones that are out at the bars, we're out at the gyms, we're out at the nightclubs, we're, we're the ones that are out and about. So we're the ones that are, I say we because I'm vaccinated, you know, it's the vaccinated ones that are spreading it. So I think there has to be some communication around again who who gets tested and when you if you think you've been exposed because the testing places are now under pressure because so many people are being exposed and then they're being told to go get tested and yet it, it kind of like what is what's the point of that and how do vaccinated people continue to spread this and yeah you know, are they spreading it at the same rate as unvaccinated people there's that piece it has to, I think that some clarity needs to be brought around that one. I, I, I just to, to interrupt, um, as far as I understand, guidance is going to change. Right now, everybody who's deemed to be a close contact of someone, you know, gets, gets a test. And I think they're about to change that to say, uh, first of all, you're going to have to contact trace yourself. Yeah. And, and second of all, uh, you have to, you have to, or you should isolate, but uh, no test unless you've got symptoms. And, and I think that's the right thing to do that they shouldn't just go get a test because they've been exposed. Right. And then the other thing is, I don't understand. I, I mean, I, I know she understand why they'd open it up to everybody 18 and over to get a booster shot. But for heaven's sakes, if you had your second shot a month ago, you shouldn't get a booster shot. And uh, so yeah. I, I think that there has to be a little bit of, um, of, uh, to your point, the Hunger Games right now, there has to be a bit of more rationale and a bit more of a process by which you actually get the people who need the booster shots, the booster shots first. Uh, and then with the test kits, again, you know, 
it's just it's just like go to the liquor store and get the test kits, and then they're sold. Like they're out of the test kits, and, and you know. I but, remember I, I was looking at it's like test kits are coming, and you know on the work it is that you know they're not going to be there when I'm done. That's right. But if if there's a you know what the test kit should be used for is to make sure that there's a strategy to keep the kids in school. So if they have to hoard every single test kit from here on in so that come January, kids can go back to school and those test kits are being used on the kids, that's what they should be doing. And so I understand that people like myself, we have test kits, you know, before we meet, go with other family members to make sure that we're not... um, You got a test kit? Oh, yeah. I got 25 (laughs) in my house. Oh, wow. I'm I'm impressed. (laughs) (laughs) Lucky you. But from a provincial strategy, I think that the test kits really need to be, um, as long as there's enough to make sure the kids can go back to school, then the rest are up for grabs. Charles Sousa, you know, this is the same kind of issue that cropped up. I mean, I know this is new. No one expected it. But it's the same kind of issue that's come up with, you know, the other waves. And so are they sort of messing this up? It's exhausting. I mean, um, and I would argue with John on this one, too, John. I mean, he was slow off the start because he was appealing to anti-vaxxers at the very beginning. There was concern. And, and then now we're in a position where he's very much in favor of doing so. But why is it that we don't have it in place? My son just arrived from Ireland two, three days ago. He's been away for two years. He's had access to rapid tests and, and materials for free for a while now. And they actually actually <laughs> Did he bring any home? make themselves tested as they go to work <laughs> so, or, or if they're going to go into contact with others. Of course, there's also the risk of false negatives, but you, you've got to have this, this, this access, an expanded access to these issues um, in order to, be have, to have more efficient distribution as a test option. And there's got to be much more clear and direct communications around these issues, especially to the 2 million kids that are wondering what they're going to do next in school. And, and their teachers, and for that matter, nurses and others. I find it all very um, odd that we're in a desperation mode when so much was already clear months before. Uh, you know, and I know, I know some of the opposition are asking for the legislature to be recalled to do more promotions around boosters and expanded access. I think they'll probably announce that today. But, you know, they want to get expanded sick leave. They want more HEPA filters and in those classrooms, they want more PCR and rapid testing. They want more supports for the businesses who, at this point, even half full, may not make it worth their while to go back. It's it's all very unfortunate. And and are they half full? I mean, you know, um, uh, when I know that personally, when these restrictions came down, um, I canceled things, uh, and even if I could have got in, right, and a lot of other people did too. Yeah. 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 People go and it's interesting, the back though, that our numbers aren't doubling. Like, they, they, did, they actually went down today. They did. The, I mean, that's good news. Look what's going on in, in Quebec. But, yeah. you know, what's happened on two days. Also, you know, we've got, I'm hearing about a, a backlog in testing. Um, right? That could be it, too. That yeah. could, I mean, we haven't really had clarity on that. I mean, I've seen things saying that, that our PCR labs are you know, under pressure. And I've, I've heard public officials saying something, well, you should get it back in two days. Uh, it, it was, it, it took less time recently. So I'm wondering, are our numbers real or is there a backlog in testing? John, well, I mean, uh, the others are basically saying, you know, this, this provincial government, they still haven't got it quite right. Well, I'm assuming you disagree. I, I totally disagree. I, I think at the end of the day, you know what, governments uh, are trying to do what they can. They learn from their mistakes in the past without a, without a doubt. And, and look, you know what, Premier Ford can only give out as many rapid tests as, he's, as he gets from the federal government, right? The federal government says, oh, we've got all these rapid, rapid tests. And in his year-end interviews, when he's pressured about, you know, can every Canadian get a rapid test on tomorrow? Well, no. Well, can, can every Canadian or every province oh, get the rapid wait, test? Wait a minute, John. Wait a minute. They've had those rapid tests for a long time. And I gather one of the issues is that the rapid tests have, they come in kind of big bundles, more than you'd send home with a person. And there's some kind of backlog breaking up the bundles. 
Well, uh, there's backlog, Libby. There's also potential places where you can give them. You know, you're going to give them the LCBOs and stuff. There's only so many you can get get in the LCBO. You're going to have people that are going to go there and hoard. You know, uh, uh, you know, uh, lines of people that are going to—they're going to be sold out. I, I remember there was only also people at my place that had rapid tests. I didn't even bother going because I knew there was going to be a lineup around the bend, and there was right. So at the end of the day, you can only give and do as much as you can. It's the same with jabs and arms. You can only give so many vaccines and so many people can disseminate and dispense those that you have physically available to do. So yes, is there is there ever enough enough? Resources, no. Enough products, no. Is there enough time, no. But I think that the governments, both federally, and I, and I give this credit to, to, to Justin Trudeau, who's trying to, to procure as many vaccines as he possibly can and give them out to the provinces as best he can. And the provinces are trying to do the best. They're not withholding things for the sake of withholding it. They're trying to do with what they can with what they have. So, you know what, it, you know, it, when, when you open up a line, and you basically say anybody over 50 can go, you know what, you're going to have a shutdown in the first hour and a half, right? That happens every time. When you open up a, a, a clinic and say, okay, we're going to have this pop-up clinic, but anybody can go, you're going to have 10,000 people go to it um, and, and wait in line. And you're going to have maybe half of them not being able to get it because it's going to run out. That's going to have to happen. Now, you know, is it ideal? No. Should the, should the governments, can, can they do better? For sure. But let's let's understand the circumstances where this variant is different than any other variant we've ever had. And I think governments across Canada are trying to deal with it as the best they can, given the information that they have. Uh, Karen, I mean, do you think that the circumstances, yes, the variant is different, but, you know, it's it's uh, it's kind of, uh, to a certain extent, I think, deja vu all over again. It's It's another variant of the same thing causing another wave. And again, I was really surprised about this business that that they're behind in in breaking up the test kits. Yeah, I think it is. Um, it's a bit of deja vu, but it's also a bit different because for the last six months, certainly I'm a vaccinated person living my life without restrictions. And now we're being told that we can't live that way anymore because this variant is very transmiss- transmissible. And so, but it still leaves me with the question of, okay, so I might get it, I might pass it, but I'm not going to get sick or am I? I don't know. I still don't know. Well, they don't and know. So I'm going to get my third job because that's what I'm being told to do. But I have two doses of Pfizer. And, uh, you know, I don't know. My daughter, she's, you know, she's 15. Should I get her a job as soon as I can or is she okay? And so we've been living. I, I think that that's where the, the, you know, where some of it is a little bit different in that this isn't now um, you just have to get vaccinated so that we can get on with our lives. This is we are vaccinated and we're not really sure what this means. Because this two-week circuit breaker, I don't understand how it could be two or three or four weeks. Because if this is spreading through vaccinated people, how does it end? Well, they they, they always end, but the question is when and after how much. Yeah. After then, how much like, difficulty? Do we, do we lock ourselves down as vaccinated people? Do we shut down? Like, like in, in hospitalization, that's not making right. sense. Right, and, and the hospitals and stuff is important as well as by way of monitoring those. Well, the hospital hospitalization is looking okay, but yeah. uh, the because the first of numbers people. of people uh, who are getting this are younger people who've been out and about, and what yeah. they're saying is they they still don't know the impact on people who are more vulnerable. And now that it's really spreading, it's going to take a couple of weeks. And I uh, last week I was talking to nursing home operators, and they are terrified. Yeah. Just and I think, but I think, I think the seniors have in the nursing homes have gotten their third job. Yeah, they've yeah. got their third job. Uh, I don't know if all the workers there have gotten their third job, but it would be the workers bringing it in again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Charles, again, do you think that they just, you know, are a little behind the eight ball here? Well, you know, John, John was defensive here, and I, I want to—I totally respect you, John. And I believe, like you do, that all levels of government share responsibility on this issue. And I believe that the premier and the prime minister all have good intentions to get this thing under control. But there's a lack of competency here, and I'm not blaming anyone particularly. I'm just saying we're in the fifth wave, and here we are playing catch up again. The severity is really unknown to what we've just noted. We don't know what the omnicurrent is going to do, but we do know it's here. We know that it's extremely uh, contagious, and many more are getting it, and yet we don't have we don't have 
things in place over two years now that should have already occurred. And that's all I'm getting to. And I'm not suggesting that there's any malintent here. I'm just saying we should have done better. We should have known better. And now it's easy for me to say I'm not there. Thankfully, now, look at what's happening. Like, there's no right decision. You're always caught behind. And to that point, I do feel for them. Okay, for the last couple of minutes, I'm going to switch to something positive. We have Christmas coming up on the weekend. Karen, what, what do you have to say about Christmas? Oh, well, I'm looking forward to Christmas, and um, we are going to have a small celebration. But I don't know, and even with all the Omicron and all of the upset and confusion, I still am very optimistic for 2022. I, I think it's going to be a good year, and uh, I'm looking forward to this year's celebration. John? Yeah, same. I think I'm looking forward to it. It's nice to wind down and, and sort of, you know, put the put the iPhone down for a couple of days and just relax and, and spend time with uh, with small groups of, of family and, and maybe head up to the cottage as well. But, you know, just it's it's going to be relaxing. And I'm, and I'm, you know, my third jab is not until January. So I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> And Charles, your son has just arrived. That that, that my sounds... son has arrived. He brought a partner with him, and she's quite nice. But quite. we normally have Christmas Eve with my side of the family, and we're almost sixty people. Oh my goodness! Where so would you year, do that? We decided to pitch a tent in the backyard and have everybody come over. And now that number is down to about twenty-five uh, because people are concerned. Uh, but we are looking forward to having those that can attend to be part of the celebrations. We're going to do it outdoors this year. It'll be a different. Christmas Eve, for sure. And, of course, Christmas Day is going to be with my my little family. And we're looking forward to it in a big way. And, I, Libby, I wish you and Karen and, and John all the very best this season as well. Yeah. Wow. Outside, Christmas Day. Bye, <laughs> <laughs> Charles, and drop off a bottle of wine. If you <laughs> yeah, we'll need something to keep us warm. Okay, <laughs> yes. Uh, so, um Guys, thank you so much. Um, I'm going to be off next week, but um, Merry Christmas. Have a, a great day and great celebrations, hopefully with your family. And um, yeah, what can I say? And, and, and thanks for always being here every Tuesday. I so look forward to it. So do I. Thank you. Merry thank Christmas, you. everybody. Happy All holidays. The best, Cheers, everyone. Okay. Yeah. All righty. We are taking a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about your mental health. You know, this time of year is difficult at the best of times for a lot of people. Uh, so with all the layered stuff on it, you know, how are we going to cope? What are some strategies? And we'll open the lines if you want to talk. We're listening when we come back. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. For a lot of people, the holidays can be especially difficult at the best of times, and these are certainly not the best of times. On top of everything, plans are changing at the last minute. We were looking forward to an almost normal Christmas, at least for the vaccinated. And now we are looking at something mm, that's closer to last year's lockdown. Uh, so how are you feeling? The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And how best to manage your emotions and your mental health? Uh, right now, I am joined by Dr. Steve Jordans, a professor of psychology at the University of Toronto, and Marion Cooper, who is the executive director of the Canadian Mental Health Association um, for Manitoba and Winnipeg. Thank you so much for being with us. Appreciate it. Thank you, Libby. Yeah, thank you. It's good to be here. Okay, we'll start with you, Marion. Uh, you have a campaign going, uh, and... Uh, it's uh, kind of with a little ugly sweater, and it says, uh, one in four get the gift of increased anxiety. It, is that something from the before times, or is that a pandemic thing? Well, it's certainly a statistic that's based on sort of pre-pandemic, but it's definitely 
um, been uh, confirmed through some of the research and uh, the surveillance that we've been doing across Canada, um, checking in on Canadians and their mental health. So it certainly has continued to be a steady part of the experience of uh, struggling with your mental health, and that's been um, definitely um, exacerbated by the pandemic and all of the stress that's been attached to that. So people are worried, people feel anxious, people feel discouraged. And for some people, that is uh, um, also, uh, you know, related to a mental health um, diagnosis, such as anxiety disorder. Steve Jordans, what about fatigue? I mean, you know, first of all, there's that aspect that that uh, really we were expecting something else this yep. year. Yep. A- and then there's just general pandemic fatigue for a lot of people. What does that mean? Yeah, I mean, I was one of the people on the radio a year ago saying, you know, we have to sacrifice our current Christmas, but make big plans for next year. I said, you know, have the whole family come together. We'll be great by then. Yeah, we're, we're not. And and that is really hard on us uh, intellectually and, and especially emotionally. There's there's this notion called learned helplessness, where if you continue to try to fight something, and especially if you feel like you're actually making headway, um, but then that gets pulled away from you. Uh, and so all of your attempts, you know, don't lead to success. You can reach a point where you just start feeling like, man, there's not even any sense of trying. And so you can lose what we call that internal locus of control, that sense that you have some control over things and how they'll play out. And and when we start losing that, um, that that's when we start feeling that sort of, you know, less anxiety and more towards a depressive kind of state where we just kind of start feeling like we're giving up, we're exhausted. Uh, and that's, that's actually a, a kind of dangerous place to get to. Uh, so we want to try to fight that as much as we can. And uh, Marion, when, when that happens, uh, then people, I guess, are less likely to follow the rules. Well, it can happen. And people, I think, feel, um, you know, like they have to balance sort of managing all of the risk associated with, you know, the public health protocols and the physical distancing that we're all asked to to take care of and to focus on, while at the same time understanding that there's also risks associated with being socially disconnected and away from our friends and family and those we love and the impact it has on your mental health. So it's it's a very tricky balancing act and um, certainly we don't want people breaking the rules, that there's a collective uh, uh, approach required right now to address the, the pandemic and to keep our ourselves safe, our families and our communities safe, while at the same time recognizing this is coming at a cost to our mental health. So making decisions that also pay attention to that. And, and if I may say very quickly, Libby, that, that sense of control, I, I think a lot of us feel like we don't have a lot of control over what's happening with the virus, and that's true. But there is an opportunity here that, that I think we're all alluding to that, you know, mental health issues used to be something that other people battled. If you're not feeling anxious now, you're just not paying attention. So it's something we all feel now. It's, it's real to us. We understand what, what mental challenges are. And I think this is a great opportunity, especially in the case of anxiety, to learn how it comes about. It's, it's a basic biological reaction and to learn some techniques and strategies for, for kind of managing that state and, and to give ourselves a break every now and then, um, you know, get out of that cortisol flood that comes with anxiety. Um, and, and if we can learn to do that, we can become empowered in a different way in the sense that, hey, okay, we can't control the circumstances out there, but we can control a little bit how we are reacting to those. And that can be another source of empowerment that can get us through this. Before we get to those coping strategies, I'd like to give the numbers out again. I would like to hear from people on how they are coping, uh, if they have strategies, if they have changed their plans, and if it's a little disappointing. Uh, are you canceling something? Are you thinking twice about going to another family member's home for whatever reason? 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. I'm talking to Dr. Steve Jordans and Marion Cooper about mental health over Christmas. And, uh, Marion Cooper, so what's one of the coping strategies? I know that you talk about one of the problems is is too great expectations. 
Yeah, I think having expectations that are uh, realistic during these times. So, um, you know, rather than focusing on the disappointment that uh, is ahead of us, um, thinking about setting things up that are realistic and um, attainable during this time. So, you know, again, thinking creatively about how you connect and gather with folks, um, blending some small gatherings with hybrid connections, so using the technology that we have to to stay in touch and, and be close to those that we love during the holiday season. Um, those are important things to do right now, and uh, managing our expectations uh, and, you know, planning now instead of planning for big gatherings, uh, planning for those small gatherings based Based on the guidelines and 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 not being ex, uh, disappointed when things get canceled, but adjusting and being flexible in how we plan for the holidays. Yeah, speaking of uh, flexibility, Steve, I mean, I'm sure that a lot of people are at the point of either canceling altogether or reducing the size. I mean, you know, how do you disinvite somebody for Christmas? Yeah, I, I mean, we we have to really reduce the size. You know, we have to be as smart as we can about this um, because we know there's going to be a hangover that's going to come from all of the gathering that we do, and it's not going to be pretty. So, I mean, I think that's one of the things we have to keep in mind. We're we're doing what we're doing to help those others in our community um, and and help those that that could get hit very hard by by our missteps, to be to be quite honest. So it's kind of, you know, one of those things we have to do, but we have to find a way of doing it and preserving our mental health. And, and one of the things I want to highlight that's been mentioned a couple times here is social connection. It's so important to our mental health. What I like to say to people is we're all Zoom, Zooming and whatever. You know, the old 1980s use of the telephone, kind of like what we're doing now, where you pick it up and stick it to your ear and talk to the person, that's a very pure form of communication where you have the words, but then you have all the nonverbal sort of grunts and agreements and chuckles and those sorts of things, those are where the emotional connection is. Those are where the power is. And we need to feel that. So if we can't be together with people, call them. Give them a call, spend a half an hour on the phone, have that interaction over Christmas, and you'll make them feel a whole lot better, and you'll make yourself feel a whole lot better. You know, that's a great point. Uh, personally, I way prefer the phone to a Zoom call, unless there's some work reason for a Zoom call. I find them exhausting, yep. and uh, the phone is just easier. It's it's easier, and you're just relaxed. You know, in your bathrobe. <laughs> yep. And you actually don't. pay attention. <laughs> you actually attend to the person you're talking to. Um, and, and we just don't understand. I, I like to say things like, if I tell you a frustrating story, and if your only response is, ah, that tells me you were listening, you felt what I felt, you're there with me. That's what we want from our close social connections. And it's those grunts and, you know, expressions of air that are so powerful. And they come through so clearly on the phone, on the radio as well, by the way. Um, and so it's a really good medium for having that social connection. Okay, we've got to take another break. I'm going to give the numbers out again. I know it can be a bit hard to talk about this, but we're talking about mental health. How are you feeling heading into the holidays? Are you feeling lonely? That's, you know, that's a dangerous thing, actually. Uh, and uh, have you canceled? Are you going ahead? 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. We'll have more on tri- tips and strategies for uh, keeping your mood and having good mental health as we approach the holidays. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. We are talking about maintaining mental health during the holidays. And, uh, you know, um, according to this survey from the Canadian Mental Health Association, one in 10 Canadians often or always feel lonely. And that must feel particularly bad at this time of year. What to do? Marion. You know, it, it's an important thing that uh, we're talking about um, these issues related to mental health. And I think we've talked about, you know, the pandemic, uh, the silver lining has been probably that there's an openness and a willingness to uh, acknowledge 
that everybody's mental health has been impacted. Loneliness is definitely uh, a factor in all of that, and many people are uh, feeling very alone, uh, very isolated, and uh, certainly this you know, has happened um, even before the pandemic, and it, it's being more acknowledged as a serious public health issue, uh, an epidemic of loneliness. Um, and what we are really encouraging people to do is to reach out for help and to connect with someone. And it may be that, you know, as we all are getting older, uh, we've lost friends, we're, we're not as connected to our social networks because of our current times or changes in our lives. Um, you know, reaching out to uh, an organization like the Canadian Mental Health Association for some support and to, um, you know, ask for help uh, to address things like loneliness, which is a very legitimate uh, mental health concern because it does impact your overall health. So there are warm lines in communities and um, governments, including the federal government and provincial government, have invested in mental health supports uh, during this time. And we encourage people to look at what's available in your community and to reach out for those uh, supports and resources like warm lines and your local Canadian Mental Health Association. Uh, Steve Jordans, I mean, uh, is that kind of connection with a professional um, who's a stranger, does, does that, I mean, is that, it's not the same as with a, a loved one or a friend? Yeah, I mean, I mean true. It, it's, it's a good place to get, to get help and support, but it's not exactly what you're looking for, which is that close social connection. You know, one of the things I, I recommend to people, especially if you're a, a family and especially you're a children going through this, that issue of feeling empowered is important for them too, feeling that they're doing something of value. And one thing that you can do as a family is maybe look around your neighborhood, look around your community. Are there people that you think might be feeling isolated or alone, that, that older person that lives by themselves or, or somebody you always see just sort of by themselves. And maybe this is a great time to adopt a neighbor. Um, and then all that means is, you know, maybe calling them, checking in on them. I'd like to call you Christmas Eve and maybe call you on Boxing Day and have our kids talk to you um, and convince the kids that they're doing something very important for another human being at this time when, when those, that human being needs it. And it makes the kids feel like they're actually having some sort of positive impact, which they are, and it can make that neighbor, which is, you know, not exactly the same as our close friend, but when a neighbor feels like those around them care, that can be a big, big part. Your neighbor, neighbor's good. I, I want to ask about something that I've noticed, particularly in people who live alone, and and uh, it's something, frankly, uh, that my husband tells me he's got you know cycling buddies, uh, and that um, you know that when they get together with someone or call them on the phone, it, it's like comes out in a gush, and, and like you don't almost you could walk away. For yeah. days, they are just talking and talking and talking and not waiting for any kind of response. Well, I mean, I mean, there, there's an art to something called active listening, which, which isn't walking away, not quite. No, but, no, but, I'm, but, I'm but not saying we do that. I'm saying <laughs> you could, and they would notice. Yeah, but there, there, is a, there is a real art that most of us don't know. We spend too much time trying to express our ideas, which sounds silly as I sit here trying to express my ideas. But, but we don't, we're not very good at just shutting up and listening to somebody else when they're talking and kind of exploring what they're saying with them. It's super, super powerful. It's a part of a lot of so-called humanistic therapies, but it's also part of just really establishing a strong, strong friendship. We all want to be listened to. So these people for whom it's gushing out, they're just really hungry to have somebody hear them. And if you're willing to play that role and, and listen to them, you are doing a really, really powerful service in the sense of giving them uh, the emotional support they need. But is, is that like a, a manifestation or a sign that, that somebody is on the verge of being in trouble? Um, I, I mean, I, I'm not a clinician, so, so I always worry about, you know, doing anything that sounds like diagnosis. I think there's a lot we can do for each other, you know, to try to help um, 
irrespective of whether this person should also be seeing a professional. But I, I wouldn't really say I'm just as you said. There are so many people that are that are lonely and that are looking for someone to reach out to. I wouldn't quite call that clinical, just to, to you know see that. Um, but it, but it is a sign that you are giving some this person something that that's really really valuable to them. And if it's something you can do on a more regular basis, that would be a really powerful thing to do. Uh, Marion, I noticed that in your list of tips, you say, well, if, even if you're on your own. Cook yourself one of your favorite foods. Sort of treat yourself. Yeah, that uh, those acts of self care and nurturing ourselves can come in many different forms. And so, if you know you find yourself uh, alone um, and um, you are wanting to be festive, maybe doing those things like making yourself baking, um, baking a special treat, uh, preparing a special meal going out and buying something that you wouldn't normally buy that would be just kind of special and allowing yourself to feel, you know, uh, spoiled a little bit. So that uh, that can often make us uh, feel, you know, very grateful uh, for the things that we have when we can take that time to to enjoy things like that and to also practice, you know, gratitude. What are the things that we feel grateful for? There may be lots happening around us that's out of our control, um, but practicing gratitude can be an important part of, you know, strengthening our mental health and uh, our outlook on things. So what are the things that you're feeling grateful for right now and the things that we uh, can acknowledge and celebrate? And, of course, course, uh, those acts of self-compassion and uh, nurturing can also be great gifts during the holidays for ourselves. Okay, let's take a call from Sita in Mississauga. Hi, Sita. How are you doing? Good, good. How are you? Thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. Go ahead. Um, Talk, smile, and say hello to a stranger, even in the store, the elevator, or on the street. Get ready to do FaceTime dinners. We did that last year, and we survived. Shut off the news if it's getting too much. Oh, thanks a lot. To handle. But switch to some, to some music. Zoomer registration mixes, mixes it up. So you can relax at the same time, and you're not hearing the news constantly. Okay, that was a good save, Sita. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And everyone have a safe and enjoyable time. Thanks, Sita, for your call. Thank you. There's okay. a very, very important point I'd like to take off from from there, which is the power of music. So, for example, you know, we can imagine how the environment affects our mental state. If we watch the news, watch COVID, we're sort of staring at the thing that's making us anxious. And, of course, we're going to get more and more anxious. But other things, and music is a really powerful example, can take our mind to another place. So creating a playlist of, you know, maybe those songs we always listen to at Christmas or songs that we liked when we were 16 years old or something like that, we can, you know, put that playlist on and let it do the work. It can take our mind back to, you know, these these memories of, of old that were happy, positive memories. And it's a very sort of powerful way to get yourself into a positive mind state for a while, which if nothing else just allows that anxious state to not do its thing, which is to flood your body full of uh, cortisol and, and, and other uh, hormones that, that end up sort of wearing you down. So anytime you can get a break in music, anything that makes you laugh, anything that makes you dance or sing, doing karaoke, any of these activities are powerful ways to give yourself a break from the anxiety. Okay, uh, you know, uh, Steve, I did not pay him to, to give us a plug, but, but we are in all Christmas music on both of our stations, which is Zoomer Radio here and Classical FM, the new Classical FM on 96.3. So, uh, whichever genre you prefer, uh, if it's Christmas music, uh, that you want to hear, you got it. <laughs> And, and of course, the, the phone lines are, are starting to fill up now that we are close to the end of our chat. But I'll uh, take one from Murray and Malton. Hi, Murray. Hi, Libby. How are you? Fine. How are you? Go ahead. Good. Not bad at all. Uh, you were talking about people rambling. You, they call you and you can't get a word in it. Yep. My mother was like that. When she needed to analyze something or uh, go through something and she kept getting distracted, she'd call me. And sometimes I could literally put the receiver down and walk away from it for like a half an hour, and she'd still be there talking. And you know what? My mother-in-law was like that, and I think it's because she was living alone. Well, um, my mother used to do it just because 
she wouldn't get distracted. If she knew somebody was listening, then she'd have to continue. (laughs) If she went through the thought process at home, then all the dishes have to be done or something, and she was always distracted. So she'd just call me. Well, that's good. (laughs) Um, Marie, thanks for your call. Merry Christmas to you. Yes, Merry Christmas. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay, so uh, what are some of the other strategies for people? What about, um, uh, you know, people also overindulge? Uh, can that worsen their mood? Well, I, I mean, obviously one of, one of the reasons we do that a little bit is it, is it stimulates our sort of rest and digest system. You know, the same thing when we tell people to take a deep breath if they're feeling kind of freaked out. The, the flip side of anxiety, uh, which we sometimes refer to as the fight or flight response, is the rest and digest response. And so doing things like eating d- does calm us a little bit. It, it engages our digestive system and it sort of brings that calming side over a little bit. Um, so to some extent, you know, especially at Christmas and especially with the message we're saying of, you know, maybe treat yourself a little bit, um, I don't know if, if it would be really high on my worries of overindulging right now, but but obviously we all want to keep our physical health uh, strong as well as our mental health. In fact, physical health is a, is a sort of foundation of our mental health. So, yeah, at Christmas, I don't know. Uh, my my dad would say everything in moderation, including moderation. <laughs> Maybe this is the time when we when we moderate moderation. But Marion Cooper, if you're drinking too much, that can make your feelings worse, right? Absolutely. So I think that message around moderation is important. And it's not just around, you know, the foods that we're enjoying right now, but if you are using alcohol or cannabis, you know, those are things that can get out of hand very quickly for people, especially if they're not coping well. So being able to uh, pay attention to that and to, um, you know, you know, set limits and um, to think about sort of the you know, issues that can happen when use becomes a daily thing and uh, how that can then lead to other problems like substance use disorder. So really encouraging people to pay attention to their substance use and to um, to be mindful of the uh, the trap that can happen with uh, using uh, frequently and often. And also then uh, balancing things by doing other healthy activities like, you know, having, you know, good sleep routines, um, staying active, getting out for a walk, you know, paying attention to uh, keeping your body moving and doing other things that can exercise. also help. Exercise. Yeah, exercise. Exercise is good for your mood. Our mood. Uh, okay, we are uh, just about out of time. So, Steve Jordans, I'm going to give you the last word, 20 seconds. Yeah, well, the one thing I'm really saying to people is you've heard a bunch of tips here from, from exercise to, you know, getting good sleep to music to all these kinds of things. What I really recommend is that we do these things in a more structured way. We literally schedule them into our into our week. We imagine times when we're going to have times for ourselves, times for socializing, times for listening to music, times for doing karaoke with our family. It's so easy to just let our minds kind of run away with us. We have to be the ones saying, no, 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 we're going to take control. We know now some good things to do to give us a break. Now it's all about doing them. And and often scheduling them in the calendar is, is a great way to kind of get yourself on a good track. Okay, thank you so much, Dr. Steve Jordans and Marion Cooper. And that's all the time we have for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.